Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're so glad that you are all here today with us. I'm Sarah Story. I'm the new Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. And I'm so happy to be here today with Dr. Brian Foster. Brian is an Assistant Professor of Sociology and Southern Studies at the University of Mississippi. And he just wrote a new book called, I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. Welcome, Brian. Hey, hey, Sarah. Thanks. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Excited for the conversation. Thank you. We're just thrilled to have you. Um, congrats on your new book. I really, I personally really enjoyed reading it and um, we'll be giving it as gifts this holiday season. Oh, wow. um, but please just, we'd love to take a moment and just hear from you, just a brief introduction uh, about yourself for those that may not know you yet. Yeah, yeah. Brian Foster, born and raised in a little town in Northeast Mississippi. Call myself a storyteller and a writer, a sociologist. I've spent time at the University of Mississippi, some time at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, and that story I know will come out in the conversation today. Uh, but but yeah, I'm excited about the book. So happy to hear that you enjoyed it and we'll be gifting it, gifting it to some lucky folks. Uh, <laughs> also excited about that today. So so again, yeah, just just thanks for thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear a little bit about um, growing up in Mississippi and what, what that was like for you. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in the town of Shannon, which is about uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes south of Tupelo, a couple hours southeast of Memphis, an hour east of Oxford. That's kind of one of the defining features of, of my hometown is I have to, in order to, to, to explain to people or describe to people where it is, I have to describe other places too, because few people know of, of you know, my little hometown, 1,700 people um, of Shannon. But yeah, it was, it was in some ways uh, the sort of stereotypical small town, small southern town upbringing. Uh, Shannon's a place with one little flashing light, one grocery store, one school, one of everything, pretty much. A place where where family is is important, where community boundaries are often uh, defined by who owned the land and who lived on the land. I grew up right next door to my grandma in, in, in walking distance of aunts and uncles and cousins. Uh, that was my community. That was my clan. Family is a thing that was important where I grew up. And, and the land itself, um, the legacy uh, of of who owned the land and who passed it down to whom and how did they come to to get and own the land themselves and then and then as is the case in a lot of places in the south religion and god i grew up in church grew up at the knees of my grandmother my dad's mother her name was lavelle foster and uh some people are some people are mama's boys some people are daddy's girls i am a i am my grandmother's grandson i am my grandmama's boy uh, so yeah, you know, 
family land, God, religion, small town, all of which are are really important to uh, to kind of how I see myself in the world, important to my identity and have have become important parts of of my work, my work as a sociologist, my work as a writer, storyteller. That's great. And is your family still in Mississippi? Yeah, the vast majority of my family is still here, still in Northeast Mississippi. My my dad's side of the family is from Shannon, from that Lee County area. My mom's side is from just about an hour north of, of there in Prentice County, Boonville, Baldwin area. And so, yeah, most all of my family is still here. I do have, you know, as we know of the great migration story, I've got family in Chicago and Flint and Detroit. Uh, but the vast majority, of, and, then, and then I've got a brother who's in Houston and, and then some cousins in, in Southern California. But yeah, the vast majority of my family is still here. And, and you know, I've had the chance to incorporate kind of my family history um, into some of my, some of the more recent work that I've done, which which has been really fulfilling for me. And, uh, but yeah, they're, they're still here. And, and, you know, my journey has been kind of roundabout uh, as, you know, I was taking the sort of uh, this, this, uh, chasing my aspirations for, you know, college degree and then grad school, but my family's still here and here I am again, back here. That's wonderful. And I'd love to hear a little bit more of your journey from, from Shannon to undergrad and then, and then on to grad school. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, the, this part of the, the, the early part of the story is always a little surprising to folks, uh, but I spent the, my first year and a half after, after high school graduation, which was 2007, I spent that first year and a half in St. Paul, Minnesota at a little liberal arts school, uh, McAllister College. I was an athlete, but was also interested in, 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 funny enough, given where my work has landed, I was interested then in getting away from Mississippi, getting away from, from the South. Uh, also interested in, you know, I've always had this curiosity, always had this love of reading and language and writing. And so wanted to go to a place, a school, a good school is the language I used back then, a place where I could feed those parts of myself. So I spent a year and a half in St. Paul, Minnesota. My dad died in 2008, and, and that brought me back home uh, to be closer to family, to be closer to my mom. And, and coming home as an undergrad student meant for me, University of Mississippi. And so that's where I transferred to 2000. The start of 2009, spent some time, you know, in Oxford again, where I am now. But but back then, exploring, I think exploring myself, figuring out who I was and what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be, and what I wanted to do in my life. As I mentioned, I've I don't remember a time where reading wasn't a practice for me. I don't remember a time where writing wasn't something that I was fascinated by, uh, and and so. Ole Miss was a time where I was trying to, to see where those interests kind of would fit into the long term. And I don't know if I if, if I ever had a clear answer or arrived at a clear answer then, uh, but at some point along the way, grad school kind of came on my radar. Uh, and, and that landed me at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, where I spent a few years. Uh, and it was in those few years, my first few years at UNC, where where this set of questions about place, about the South, about race, Black Americans, Black community life, and about inequality uh, started to kind of percolate for me and, and have driven so many of the decisions that I've made since. I spent some time 
as a grad student back in the Mississippi Delta doing some field work in Clarksdale, that becomes the basis for I Don't Like the Blues. The, the position that I, that I currently serve in now as assistant professor of sociology and Southern studies at the University of Mississippi, that comes on my radar in 2015. And so I'm still steeped in dissertation work, but, but this opportunity to come back to, to Mississippi um, was, was kind of became pretty quickly front and center in my, in my mind and in, uh, in my plans. And so, so it's been a, it's been a, it's been kind of a roundabout journey, literal and figurative, a lot of going and coming back to Minnesota, back to Mississippi, to North Carolina and back to Mississippi for field work, back to North Carolina to write the dissertation, back to, to Mississippi, uh, which is where, you know, obviously I am now. So the journey's been roundabout. Uh, I also think, in, and it feels like it's been true to who I am, a person, um, for whom Mississippi and the South and being a country boy from Shannon is is a is a indispensable part of my identity, how I see myself, but also a person who's who's always had this active and kind of larger than life to hear some people or to to use the language that some folks use, like mama, this larger than life imagination instead of curiosity. So that that take me here and there, but but seem to always kind of bring me back. This is Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're so glad that you are all here with us today. And we are joined again by Dr. Brian Foster. Thank you so much again for being with us today, Brian. Yeah. And in this segment, we'd love to hear a little bit more. You describe yourself as a storyteller, a writer, and a sociologist. And I would just love for our listeners to hear a little bit more about what that means. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I think these days, these days now having having finished my graduate studies at, at UNC Chapel Hill and, and been working as a professor for five years, I think the sociologist part comes first. Um, but in the in the kind of bigger scope of, I think, my life, you know, going all the way back to to growing up as an adolescent in Shannon, I think the writer storyteller comes first. Uh, the writer storyteller part comes first. Uh, but I'll go. I'll, I'll start with. I'll start with the sociology. Um, the task of sociology is, in some configuration or another, to document, to understand, to explain human society, human behavior, um, and so that might look like 
an interest in in patterns of stratification. So how societies are organized. Uh, so think think labor market workers. Um, think race, think gender, think class, how societies are organized. Uh, and then maybe that looks like some interest in inequality. So why some people or some groups uh, tend to do better or, or have uh, more challenging lives than others. That might look like, again, what is sociology, the task of sociology, that might look like an interest in culture. So the meaning that that us as individuals, as groups, as a society have attached to different parts of the worlds that we've made for ourselves. Uh, and then any number of things in between there are folks who study family and work in organizations and educational outcomes and disparities in, in health outcomes and in our in the carceral system and so forth and so on. And, and, and I enter into that that domain with an interest, I think, first in in how communities form and change, how places form and change, and how the people who live in those communities, how the people who live in those places kind of navigate the changes as they play out. Uh, and, and, and this kind of goes to the, to this segues, I think, to the, to the writer storyteller part. I'm, I'm deeply interested in what those processes, again, of, of neighborhood change, uh, change at the level of community and how people navigate them. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply interested in that as it, as it applies to Black Southerners, as it applies to rural communities in the South. That is the thing. Those are the people that I've been thinking and writing about my whole life before I learned what sociology was, before I learned what, what a PhD was. And, and I'm at a really beautiful point in my journey now in that I, I feel like and we're always learning, we're always in process, but, but I feel like I kind of understand how all of those parts of me, writer, storyteller, who is who's shaped by growing up again at the knee of my grandmother and, and going with her to going with her to the to the to the drugstore and to the grocery store and to church every Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday, and and sitting with her as she talks to her friends on the phone or in person, uh, and 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 listening to 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 how they talk and the words that they use and the stories that they that they tell. Um, I, I think I'm finally at a point where I understand how that part of me fits with the training that I've gotten as a sociologist, uh, the capacity to ask questions and then use the techniques, a certain set of techniques to, to chase the answers to them. And then to circle back to, to this thing that I've been practicing my whole life writing words on paper in ways that are interesting and different, um, doing that in a way that will that will unlock some truth about the world that we live in that will teach us something. So so that's a little bit about about how I how I call, you know, what I call myself writer, storyteller, sociologist and and kind of what kind of what some of the motivations behind those those titles are. I can definitely see that through reading the book. Um, it is much of storytelling as it is uh, research-based and fact-based and, and describing a place. So I think that's a really interesting approach. You also talk a little bit in the book or towards the end of the book how you do have a unique approach to research. Um, do you think that that comes from your upbringing as well? Uh, I Probably, I, I guess in a roundabout way it does because 
how and where I grew up and who I grew up around is absolutely a part of like it, 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 it those things affect the types of questions that I have. Uh, but I think the answer to the question about what kind of informs my approach, I think the answer to the question is, is the questions, the questions that I ask about um, about the world, about society. I think that they necessitate the approach that I take. I'm an ethnographer. That is what I was trained as uh, or trained in at UNC Chapel Hill. What that means is the questions that I ask typically require that I go to a place, some setting. Some folks are do school studies. They ask questions about education, the experiences of students in schools. And so they go to schools in order to be able to answer them. Some folks ask questions about urban life, about making a way in an urban environment, Chicago, Philly, New York. And so they go to those places and spend time, for example, on the street corners and sidewalks. Um, and so that is the task of ethnography is to go to some setting, into some institution, go to some place and spend time there with the goal of, A, being able to describe what is happening there, offer a rendering of what's happening there uh, so that someone who comes along and reads your work can can be familiar with. Um, and then, and then, if we are good at what we do, if ethnography accomplishes what it should, that rendering of the institution or the place should teach us something. I ask questions about Black communities in the rural South. That means that I need to spend time in Black communities in the rural South. And it means I need to be able to translate that time, the folks I've talked to, the places I've gone, what I hear and feel and smell and taste. I need to be able to translate that onto a page, an essay, an article, in my case, a book, and translate it in a way, transcribe it in a way that is real and that is true. And, and that responsibility requires, I think it necessitates the approach that I take. I don't know if my approach is unique or not. I spent a lot of time in the at the end of the book telling folks what I did in the methodological note. I think one thing I say is, I've already told you what I, I say I went to Clarksdale and spent all of this time and such and such and so and so. I've already told you what I found, which is the main body of the book. Here is what I did. And then I go on and on and on. I know few people will be interested in the detail, in the level of detail, but I go on and on and on about the interviews and unstructured and structured and all of the different types of observation and what I did with the demographic data and the archival materials. Those things, those techniques are not unique at all. Those techniques are foundational to qualitative research. I, so, so I don't know if I would call my approach unique because I think that even even the fact that I'm using all of these different, you know, I'm using archival materials and doing some demographic analysis and, you know, talk to 250 folks and people do interdisciplinary work. That is a that's a fundamental part of the social sciences. Uh, but I, I what I do think is unique is is my manner of presentation is the is what I try to do with language and back to something I mentioned earlier. A part of that, I think, is necessity. I think that the way that I don't like the blues sounds and feels and the way that some of my other work sounds and feels um, 
I think it's required by what the rural Black South sounds like and feels like. Uh, and so, so I, I, I don't know if I would call my approach to research unique, or actually, I don't know if I would call the way that I carry out my work, the techniques that I use unique. I do think, however, the like my approach, is, my approach is, uh, and and I think that that uh, how I render the work, the writing, the storytelling, I do think it's unique, es especially for sociology, especially for for academics. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that further. And and how did you how did this book start? So you you spent some time in Clarksdale. You were you were there. How did how did you end up, you know, in Clarksdale? How did you? What was yeah. the process? Before Clarksdale, I was I was it was Meridian. I was I was going to leave I was going to leave UNC Chapel Hill and and move to Meridian and spend some time there. Back then, uh, though I though I certainly had this interest in the South, in region, in place, in Mississippi. I thought that I wanted to deploy that interest um, in a school setting, an educational setting. And back then, Meridian was dealing with this school, to this, this Department of Justice investigation um, for the way that the schools, again, in Meridian, were disciplining uh, uh, young people. And, and you know, you, 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 you would hear the language of there are any number of, of uh, of news reports about the school to prison pipeline comes to Meridian, which that language will be familiar to some folks. And so, so I was drawn to Meridian for that reason. And for similar reasons, Clarksdale kind of came on my radar. There was a new superintendent. There was a, there was, uh, I guess the best way to refer to this is as a cheating scandal. There were some teachers, maybe a, a principal and some teachers who had um, and this was this was still unfolding back in 2014, who had apparently uh, changed some student responses on a standardized test. And so that was the thing that that kind of put Clarksdale on my radar. And really, the things that those were the things that that made the final decision. Like, no, I'm not going to Meridian. I'm gonna go to Clarksdale. And so that's what got me to Clarksdale was what I thought was this this uh, interest in educational inequality. And it was after spending time in the place, um, which is a part of how ethnography should work. You go to a place, not with your own presuppositions or preconceived notions or expectations, but you go to a place open to whatever the place presents to you, open to wherever the place might push you. And there's a there's a moment in my in my, I guess it's fourth or fifth month in Clarksdale where I have this conversation with the woman who I call Miss Irene Sanderford in the book. And it's in this conversation where, where number one, the title of the book, I Don't Like the Blues, is first uttered. She says it. Uh, and, and, and she says a lot of other things about the blues that kind of, again, back to this, this curiosity that I've carried with me my whole life, that made me wonder. She said, on one hand, I don't like the blues. It saddens me. And on the other hand, though, she said she loves the guy who sings Mom's Apple Pie, a blues song by a blues singer. And then she has all of these things to say about blues tourism in Clarksdale, things that spark more curiosities about how Clarksdale came to be this way, the blues capital of the world, the blues mecca where folks from, from, from stateside and overseas come, flock to every year for festivals and and ground zero blues clubs and their museums and heritage markers. Uh, and so 
so that's kind of the journey is that I was drawn to Mississippi in general, this interest in, in understanding the South and region and place. Initially, that was about education and educational inequality. Uh, and it's over the course of living in Clarksdale and listening in Clarksdale and being in Clarksdale and going to places in Clarksdale, uh, especially beginning with this moment or, or um, kind of coming to a head in this moment with Miss Irene, where the project becomes a blues project, not a blues music project, though I do deal a lot with blues music and, and, and performance cultures, but a blues project, which is, a, I think, a, uh, you know, I get at this in the book too, like blues music is a part of, of, of this broader blues tradition, but it isn't the whole. But, but that's a little bit of the journey to, to the book. And was that a surprising a, a surprising turn for you, or were you? Uh... That's a, I appreciate that question. I don't I don't know if it was. I I won't call it a surprising turn, because I had thought about the blues before. Like obviously, you cannot you you can't go to you can't spend much time in Clarksdale and not think about and, and be confronted with the blues in some way or another, uh, and so. It, it had come across my radar, the idea that I would have to say something about the blues, uh, in particular blues music, blues, the, the local blues tourism system. Um, so it wasn't a surprise as much it was like, as, as much as it was something that I had resisted and resisted and like tried to avoid, but then all of a sudden had to confront. Uh, and and I get at that idea both in in what I call the prelude of the book, and then again in what I call the coda, uh, is is kind of the expectations that we bring to the places where our work plays out, and how that can sometimes cloud our perspective, um, and and I think cloud the story that we tell about our time and place. This is Sarah's story the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today we are joined by Dr. Brian Foster. We are talking about his book, I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. Brian, I'd love to start this segment off by reading a quote from your introduction, because I think it's very powerful. Okay. So this is what you wrote. <laughs> I wanted to say something beautiful. I wanted to write the thing I had wanted and needed to read but could not find. I wanted to write about race and inequality 
in and from a place at the bottom of the margins. I wanted to give a retrospective on a place long thought to be left behind. I wanted to write something shiny and extravagant. This was not the blues. Will you describe to us what, you know, just expound on yeah. that? It's just such a powerful quote. I, I was, for a long time at UNC Chapel Hill as a grad student, I thought I was studying educational inequality. I thought I was an education scholar. And so in, in my first two and a half years there, and I wrote a master's paper that was about educational inequality, uh, racial disparities in different educational outcomes, racial disparities in, um, or differences in how black students in particular uh, experienced the school setting of uh, the educational process. And in, in doing work in that space for those two and a half years, I remember, I remember feeling like my story and my experience was missing. I was reading about young people in Chicago, young people in Boston, young people in DC and New York and Southern California. But I couldn't find anything about young people from the country south that I had grew up in. And, and so that is a part of, of that, that passage that you read, is this desire to see not just my life, but the life of, number one, the people that I care about the most, my family and my friends, uh, but also the life of the people who we are representative of, Black folks who live in rural places in the South, from Texas to the SIP to Georgia and on up. And, and I brought that desire with me uh, to Mississippi, came that desire to put the stories of country Black folks on the page, on the record. And because of, this is the, I, I wonder if I'll be able to say something beautiful. I wanted to write something beautiful. I wanted to write something extravagant. I'm a country black person from country Mississippi, from the countryside. I wanted our story to like sound good and look good and feel good when folks read it. And, and that wasn't another book about the blues in a very practical way, in a literal way. I did not want to write a book about blues music. And that works if perhaps I'm, I'm a fiction, if, if, if I write fiction, I'm working, working on a piece of fiction. That works if I'm writing memoir. That doesn't work if I'm a sociologist who comes to a place, an ethnographer, whose task is to answer a set of questions, to go through, to employ a set of techniques in a systematic and rigorous way uh, with the goal of answering a set of questions, with the goal of unlocking some awareness about the world. It don't matter if I want to write something beautiful or not. It don't matter if I want to write the blues or not. If I want to tell a story about Clarksdale, there would be some things that necessarily should be in it. Uh, and that was this tension that I was absolutely struggling with, not just when I was in Clarksdale, but in the writing of the dissertation. And then in this moment of revision, uh, where, where I get the contract with University of North Carolina Press, they say, hey, we want the book, give us the manuscript by this date. Uh, and, and so after the first version of, of the story, the dissertation is out in the world, I returned to the work with, uh, and have to do, you know, I, and I had to do a type of reckoning with myself. Maybe that's overstating it a little bit, because I don't think that there's some folks who will read the dissertation and who'll read the book and say, like, what you talking about? You got it wrong. Uh, but I think to, to a close reader, 
and certainly to to the folks that I talked to in Clarksdale, and then certainly for me, um, you know, is there was this tension that I needed to to address um, and untangle in order to get from I think a version of the story, the dissertation that was lacking, to this version of the story, which is probably still lacking, uh, but that feels truer uh, and and more honest uh, from you know both both from my perspective as as an ethnographer sociologist, but also vis-a-vis like the folks who I spent all that time with in Clarksdale. You had a lot of um, people that you ran into, had relationships with friends in Clarksdale that reflected Miss Irene's statement when she said, I don't like the blues. Can you describe a little bit more about what that means to those folks that you were around? Yeah, it it meant different things, um, but you know, it, so so just to the to the question, I don't like the blues. I'm not a blues person. We don't go to juke joint. That's for the white folk. We don't go to ground zero. That's for the. You hear it in so many different ways, and it's it's the same sentiment. It's the it's the same. I don't like the blues sentiment, of coming from different people. And as I get at throughout the book kind of focused on different things. For some folks, I don't like the blues or however they said it was about blues music. I do not like to listen to blues music. For older folks, they preferred soul, they preferred gospel. For younger folks, they preferred trap. Um, you know, and so so a part of the I don't like the blues was for many people a a very uh straightforward and and descriptive statement about the music they liked. There's another part of of I don't like the blues that was about memory and about the past and about the material conditions that black Southerners associate with blues living, lack, struggles, not having the things that I need in order to survive, in order to live comfortably, in order to take care of the people that I care about. And so for, for a lot of people, I don't like the blues was about I don't like the way I used to feel back then. I don't like what my parents had to deal with growing up as sharecroppers. I don't like what I had to deal with growing up in the shadows um, of of sharecropping and tenant farming. It's about memory. It was about memory and experience. And then for lots of folks, uh, lots and lots of folks, I don't like the blues was about what had happened to the blues in Clarksdale. This, This blues tourism infrastructure that was 40 years in the making from the late 70s, early 80s until now. Uh, I don't like the way that the blues looks and sounds in Clarksdale, and I don't like who benefits from, Clarksdale brings in hundreds of thousands of people a year uh, to, to, you know, run the circuit of, of, of blues festivals and attend all of those other blues spaces in town. And, and, and those folks bring money and that money goes somewhere. And at least from the perspective of the black folks I spoke with, there's a level of dissatisfaction about what happens on the other side, on the other side of of this, what's been a successful, what has been a successful economic venture. Let's prioritize heritage tourism. Let's prioritize blues tourism. That has been successful. Uh, Black folks in Clarksdale as successful though for who? Yeah, I feel like that was a really powerful part of the book. You were able to have um, many strong conversations about uh, how Black folks in Clarksdale 
felt about the blues tourism industry. And specifically, it was just striking to hear how the majority of them said, it's just not for us. That's that's their thing. That's the white folks thing. Um, what else did you learn from that? Was that something that you expected going into Clarksdale? You know, we all think of, of Clarksdale as such a blues town. We just assume it's for everybody. Was that something new for, for you that you learned? Here's how here's how I will answer that. The the thing that was new for me, this is the fundamental point that the book makes, or that I try to make in the book, is that there is value in, there is import in what we might call like these negative sensibilities. Value in what people don't like. That is instructive. We can learn from it. There's value in what people are frustrated by that can be instructive there's value in what people don't want to see in their future and instead of rushing to well what do you want what what would you like to see what what my book what i don't like the blues is a call for is for us to sit with the what you don't want to see first is to be curious about it. it's to choose curiosity you don't like this thing well why and let's let's go backwards. Let's let's go all the way back and see if we can find the root of the why you don't like or the why you don't go to a certain type of place or why you don't want to see a certain set of things in in your future or in a place's future. That's the fundamental thing that that I think I learned. I don't know if it was a, was a surprise. I think that was a sort of sensibility that was that was in me already based on some of the work I'd, I'd read from folks like Kevin Kwashi, The Sovereignty of Quiet, Andrew Robinson, This Ain't Chicago, I could go on. Um, but it was, I think it was, it was certainly a, a uh, it was, this is such, this is a cheap word, but maybe it's it's because the language we, you know, some of the conversation so far, it was a journey to, to hear these negative sentiments, to hear the frustration and anger and exhaustion and to choose instead of rushing to the affirmative, instead of instead of rushing things that feel good and that were exciting and encouraging, actually burrowing in to the negative, burrowing in to the frustration, the skepticism, uh, and so forth and so on. I think that's the that was the lesson or set of lessons that 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 resonated the most for me and is the number one thing I hope people take away from I Don't Like the Blues. Yeah, and you mentioned that a, a lot of the sentiment was they just wanted Clarksdale to be more than the blues. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, in, in some ways, that's, a again, a very matter-of-fact uh, statement. We want more things than blues festivals and blues clubs. We want a place, young folks, where can we go on Friday, on Saturday? Um, older folks, are there other types of music-centric venues than blues clubs? What about a jazz lounge? And then there's there are conversations about, well, it'd be nice if we had a place for our children to go after school. So practical, more things and places to go and things to do. Uh, more things to do, more places to go than the circuit of things related to the blues. And then there was always, always embedded in this desire for more, 
a very basic interest in things that I need to survive and the things that I need for the people I care about to survive and live at the very least comfortably, reliable healthcare, educational opportunities that I can feel confident in, the school that I can feel comfortable sending my, my, my kid, my children, my grandchildren to. The more that folks want in Clarksdale, practical things more than the blues. Folks talk about civil rights history. Um, but then also like they're in, embedded in the desire for more is a critique of, of the social structure, is a critique of a social structure that they feel has, has failed them, has overlooked them. You did a really good job on describing all of that, um, both in this interview and in the book. So thank you again so much, so much for your time, for, for writing the book, for teaching about this important subject matter. And um, everyone, please go buy the book. Again, it's called I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. And it was put out by University of North Carolina Press just this month in December. And Brian, will you share with our listeners a little bit more of how they can connect with you, whether social media or where, wherever you yeah. are? Yeah, I'm, I'm B. Brian Foster, B-B-R-I-A-N-F-O-S-T-E-R across most all social media platforms, primarily Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and, and you can find anything you'd want to know about me on my website, bbrianfoster.com, spelled the same way. I've got links to all of the storytelling work I've done, including a recent short film. Uh, I've got I've got some information about my research and teaching. Uh, and so the website is probably the the primary place. That's that's like the headquarters. Uh, but everything's B. Brian Foster. Google B. Brian Foster and something will come up for sure. This is Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.